Hey, this is Soma79 with the Articulate Ox podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited to share this conversation with you with my friend Matt Steele, um, aka Unharrowed. Uh, Matt is an instrumental um, heavy metal player, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I mostly knew him as a guitarist um, for the long, for about the decade or so that Matt and I have known each other, but um, I didn't realize just how musically talented this guy really is. And um, so during during COVID, he had a very similar experience to me. We decided to get a little more serious about about his music and uh, start putting some stuff out there. And I'm glad he did because in October 2022, he released the EP for the time being under the name Unharrowed, and it's four tracks of instrumental heavy metal, Matt on guitar, bass, and drums. Um, and it is it's really something. He there's. I, I mentioned this during the interview, but I'm not a big heavy metal fan. I do I appreciate, you know, good music of all genre, but metal's never been one of my biggest things. But, you know, he really got me back into it here, which is sort of the um, the or got me more into metal here, which is sort of the point of the podcast for me is to be exposed to stuff maybe I wouldn't listen to. And I mentioned at one point that um when I was listening to Ride the Lightning, which was the Metallica album that he wanted to talk about today, and we'll talk about Metallica in general. I threw that on and I and I ran my best five K and probably a year at just under uh, 30 minutes. So that was inspiration for me to realize maybe heavy metal should be my new workout music. But, um, you know, back to Matt, I just, I was really blown away by these four songs. And by now there's more out. We talk about a single that's dropping a few days after our interview. The interview took place in the middle of November, 2022. So it was, it's a few months old, so he's probably has even more tracks out there. But his music, is it's very riff heavy, and it really takes you on a ride. Um, I, I, I find that I, I probably enjoy more of the instrumental heavy metal than, than with vocals, and especially someone like Matt, who's really just taking you on a, on a journey with each one of these tracks. So I would definitely recommend checking out Unharrowed for the time being and whatever else has come out between now and then, because as we talk about, it sounds like he's not going to slow down. He's going to keep working on some more stuff. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Oh, hey, one more thing I forgot to mention. Stick around to the end because I have included on Harrow's new single, Deprivation, at the end of the episode. Thank you very much, and I appreciate your support. Hello, this is Soma79 with the Articulate Ox podcast. We are here with our guest today, Matt Steele, goes by the name of Unharrowed, um, is a uh, metal guitarist and um, musician of all sorts, and I guess we're going to talk about that. Uh, Unharrowed released their first EP in October of 2022, just a month ago, called For the Time Being, and uh, it is pretty amazing. So Matt, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me. And uh, so I should say sorry. Uh, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's you know, <laughs> we know each other from way back, so that's why yes. I went for, for the yeah. Yes. But, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. I'm excited to talk to you and uh, excited to be here. Ah, cool, man. Um, so the topic you want to talk about was Metallica, which you know we're about the same age. We grew up around the same part of the country, you know. So Metallica was pretty tough to uh, tough to avoid when we were kids. When um when did you first start getting into them? Yeah. Um, so I, my earliest memories of them, obviously, I mean, the black album was so ubiquitous around its uh, release in 91. Yep. I was uh, going into second grade at that point. So like that, 
I don't know. I MTV. Oh, so almost two years older than you. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't look it, but but yeah. you are. Yeah. Well, I guess I was going into like maybe fifth or sixth. That was ninety one, so I was eleven. Okay. Yeah. All right. Right. So where that applies actually is because I have an older brother who's about your age. Yeah. So well, I have an older brother who's the reason I know who they are too. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you probably got into the better stuff a little earlier. So I. My brother, you know, MTV was just a huge thing in our household, especially on like Saturday mornings. If we'd get up early, you know, before our parents, we'd like just hog the TV and watch MTV for a few hours. And uh, yeah, the Black Album had like five singles. So, you know, that that album was just dominating MTV with the different music videos. It was that Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusions. It was like those are the two that like, and this is prime MTV. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, so from like '91 to '92, those two were just dominating everything, and I, I love the sound of rock and guitar, and I just always was into that. From my dad listening to classic rock and oldies and stuff in his car, he usually had like Bruce Springsteen and Dire Straits cassettes uh, in his in his car, so he wasn't into like the heavy stuff. Right. Um, but anytime I saw that on Metallica uh, or on MTV, rather, I, I always thought it was was cool. And obviously, that was around the same time like grunge was coming up too. So, just a lot of loud rock guitar music, um, you know, was really available and ever present on radio and MTV around that time. And like I said, having an older brother who started collecting his own cassettes. Uh, you know, I just borrow them and listen to them a lot. And one of them was the Black Album by Metallica. But I didn't really know that they had a lot of music out prior to that. I would once in a while see the one video on MTV. Like, they'd play that because, you know, that was already a pretty well known. Yeah, that was probably their biggest song prior to to the Black Album, I think. It was off off of Justice for All, the previous album. Right. And I later came to know that that was their first music video, but it wasn't their first album. So in my head, I always just thought, oh, that's their first album and this is their second one. Uh, So I remember like when I got older around middle school age, um, you know, or, you know, fourth, fifth grade, rather, uh, that's when I'd see people wear T-shirts with like album covers I had never seen before. I'm like, oh, what's Master of Puppets? Like, is that a new thing? Like, no, this they've been around for a lot longer than you know Oh, okay. So it's funny to think that you could go to a record store and find out like your favorite band has albums you've never heard of. Like that would never happen. Oh now. yeah. <laughs> like... No, I know. Now you type their name into an app and you see everything they've released. But yeah, right. that yeah. that used to be such a fun way to discover things. Yeah. To just like go through the the alphabetized rack and see. Oh wow, they had yeah. a lot more out than I thought. And sometimes you're like, is this real or is this some like goofy interview from like some like German radio station or is this like some like shitty bootleg or something, you know? Oh, I fell for that a few times. Yeah, especially after I got into Metallica. I think I have a couple of CDs that it's like, oh, Metallica, the early years. And you listen to it and it's like their first demo, but they added fake crowd noise onto it to make it seem like it's a live recording. And it's like this sounds exactly like the no life to leather demo it's because it is it's just some shitty label though the, though as you get yeah. older that becomes i think more, more treasure thing because it's hilarious <laughs> you know? yeah yeah i wish i had those shitty cds that i probably overpaid for because i thought they were like rare imports but yeah. i mean i remember buying like on ebay in like 2000 buying like eminem live cds from like myrtle beach <laughs> like you know i was like so pumped when they showed up <laughs> oh yeah no, yeah, bootleg, if you could get real ones, that was always fun. I remember Hampton Beach had this store that sold a lot of, like, cool rock memorabilia, yep. and they, they had a pretty good bootleg cassette uh, selection. I, I remember getting some Slayer and 
Metallica cassettes there when I was like 14, 15. I always remember like buying those cassettes where they had like the punch hole in the UPC. I'm like, why even bother? Like, it's just, right. I have like a Grand Puba tape that I bought from like Hampton Beach. I remember specifically like that. You're just yeah. like, all right, just tell the world I'm cheap for the rest of my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, so it's funny you mentioned before about Metallica and grunge, and like it just thought, it occurred to me that like that was around like you said around the same time, and Metallica was sort of the real survivor of that. I mean, Megadeth kind of in terms of being the real pop, you know, the not I'm calling Metallica pop is only in the broadest sense, but like you know, in, in the real mainstream thing, like Metallica was really the one that stuck around. I mean, Guns N' Roses probably would have they kept making music, but um, they were sort of this they, that was the the kind of the end of hair metal, but not the end of Metallica. No, yeah, but by no, I mean they became basically the biggest hard rock band in the world right around the same time that grunge was exploding, and obviously metal sort of was on a downswing at that point in a lot of ways. Like Maiden and Priest both lost their iconic lead singers in uh, Bruce Dickinson and Rob Halford around that time, so they had to get new singers and kind of start fresh uh, as metal was taking a downturn. Uh, a lot of the other thrash bands like Slayer kind of just stayed at a medium level. Like I know they were playing arenas in the early nineties, but they were also, they had to package tour with like Anthrax. Yeah. Oh, it's the Anthrax was the other band right around there too. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're always my Anthrax also Anthrax. I love Anthrax. Yeah. They're, they're one of my favorites too. And they actually changed their singer around that time, yep. but I think they got better. Uh, like that album, the sound of white noise with John Bush on vocals. Is with the twin Peaks song with um the, yes. the, the, the black yeah black Lodge. Lodge. yeah yeah yes. that was yeah. actually when oh, I, so I was good. always a fan of the earlier stuff that was the last album of theirs i really heard um until for years later but yeah i oh man remember them on married to children oh yeah oh, that, God, that, that to was me was a huge deal <laughs> like, yeah. i was like so jazzed oh. like i i didn't I, like again i came to metal through metallica um you know a little bit later it's it's funny so i had the black album cassette that i would borrow from my brother but around the time that load was coming out, that's when I had just started collecting CDs. And so it was the first like real new album cycle and hype and press tour that I had really been aware of. Yeah. And they were doing like contests on MTV, like have Metallica come play at your house. And uh, that was the cut <laughs> your hair. That like, was the cut your hair one when they cut the hair. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That, that was definitely so there was a lot, lot of controversy on that. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. Um, but still just, being able to like go to the store and buy, you know, my first new Metallica CD was, was a cool experience. And that yeah. was, I think June of 96. Uh, and then that whole summer was just, okay, I have to dig back and hear all the other stuff they put out. And then that fall I turned 13, I think. Uh, yeah. 13. I can do math <laughs> in uh, 96. And yeah, I got their, uh, the live shit binge and purge box set. My brother had that on cassette. Yeah, was that was a big? It was kind of big, right? Oh yeah, it was a big box. It was three CDs, three VHSs. Uh, The the first VHS in there is from 1989, so it's from the Justice Tour, and it's uh, from Seattle. And it's it's today is still my favorite like live concert footage ever. It's just it's that thing really changed my life, and that was the thing like seeing them play for you know two hours and 20 minutes just you know tight as hell looking cool as hell with the big justice lady statue behind them just everything about that made me want to play music somehow at first i thought i'd be a drummer just because lars you know him just 
banging the shit out of the drums look really cool. Uh, but then I realized drums were really expensive and uh, wow. you can't take drum sets with you. So I was like, all right, maybe I'll look into getting a guitar. And uh, that, that was really what put me, uh, I guess, on my path of uh, picking up a guitar and get me, I guess, sort of where I am today in my musical journey. So when you so when you sing when you saw them as a kid because I had a similar experience with people like Beastie Boys and things like that but for me the I mean obviously we were kids and it was but the gap between between what they were doing and what was possible for me seemed enormous like it seemed like like I don't remember not even understanding the way that like they made hip hop beats like there were samplers and how that how that worked and how like you know, it was, I was all syncopated. Like, did you have, when in those early days, were you able to see it as something, were you able to start breaking it down at that point? Or was it really like just the aura of it that sucked you in? And then eventually you get to the point where you start breaking it down and how to actually get to be a musician. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it was definitely the aura of it that I thought like, oh, I, I probably can't ever get to their level of technical ability, but I can at least try to, you know, learn a craft and, and, you know, at least give it a shot to like pick up a guitar and just see what happens. Uh, but it was more like the Nirvana's, the uh, the more you know punk influenced yeah. bands that were a little more simplistic. That I thought like, oh, I could actually learn how to play this. And uh, yeah, it, like I had friends that could just show me the riff from Tells Smells Like Teen Spirit, and it's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Like I, I yeah. could do that. I mean, my but first then, songs yeah, were Ramon songs on guitars. Like that's what I was. Yeah. I was taught was Ramon songs and maybe some Green Day. And it's like, okay, well now you can instantly play a song as long as your fingers are strong enough. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yes. So yeah, to get back to your question, um, yeah, I was I was always like, especially looking at like say Kirk playing a solo I was just like oh my god how does somebody play that fast and that technical and that yeah. fluid it like to me it always seemed like oh he must just be like the greatest guitar player and like nobody can ever approach that just because I had never really seen somebody do the things that he was doing on some of those live shows uh and the speed they play with too like some of James's riffs even now like that I've been playing guitar for 25 years I, I still can't quite get him 100% because he's just got the most insane rhythm guitar picking hand yeah, um, Can you imagine how strong like those dude like that's like fingers are at this point, and it's just getting stronger every day. <laughs> like, it's insane. It's like nuts. you could probably like flatten a penny. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's oh man, it's true. And then you see the old footage from like Cliff Amall from the 80s. oh, I, I was gonna bring it, yeah, Cliff Amall, man. That that I remember. So I have to admit, I'm not the hugest metal fan, though, like we mentioned, I liked Anthrax, I liked some Metallica, I liked some Megadeth and stuff like that. I just can't, I can't speak to it like a lot of people can. But Cliff Amal was is the first thing I think of when I think of Metallica. I probably saw that, you know, numerous times as a kid. And um, such a sad story, but just such a, I don't know, memories of that. What do you got? Yeah, so I, like, Around that same time that Load was coming out is when, you know, like I said, they had the whole like press cycle of promoting that new album. And a lot of that came with like brief, you know, sort of career retrospective documentaries type things on MTV. And I remember that was when I first learned about Cliff. And I remember like they showed footage from Cliff Amal in that in those MTV shows. And just seeing that guy, like his hands were huge, like the way that he could bend strings on a bass, like nobody bend strings on a bass like he was playing like rock guitar solos like Jimi hendrix style on a bass and it was just like wow that guy's nuts and then you know as, as i was getting into their back catalog like 
hearing Orion for the first time and realizing like that one of those middle section solos is actually harmonized bass, not guitar. It's like, holy shit, like this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, so then finally getting that video and seeing him, you know, in in their, you know, 80s heyday in 86 on the Aussie tour when the American audiences were first getting to see them in arenas and just how nuts they were going and how energetic he was. It was just like, God, man, like I, as I was getting into them, I was like, dude, I missed the boat on this band. And like, it's funny looking back now, cause I've been a fan of them for, you know, like I said, 25 years at this point, but thinking like, Oh, they've already been around for 15 years. Like, yeah. you know, maybe I, I missed all the good stuff, but clearly they've uh, still been killing it since. Well, I remember I when the black them. album came out, a lot of people were like, this is the end of Metallica. Like they're, I mean, they're not like, I right. mean, I was a kid at the time, but they're like, you can't, people don't really have, you know they're not real experts, but people were definitely saying like, "Yeah, they 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 kind of jumped the shark." You're like, "What?" Oh, there's they're still people now. That I'm more like like Diamond, like probably at least. Yeah. You know. Yeah, there's there's still people now that were into them back then. That you know that's where they got off the train, and they they still aren't into them, and and that's fine. Yeah. But it's funny when you get to people like you see on Twitter and social media and stuff where you get these people who are like, "Oh yeah, I don't like the Black Album," and they're they're like. 20 it's like how do you not how, like them? like you probably own multiple copies of it yeah <laughs> it's sort of like saying that it's sort of like if i was like i don't like dark side of the moon you're like well right. it's, it's it's funny to right. think like, it's the, not their best album like i, right. I like animals but, like, better you got to like, wish you were here better yeah but dark side is still an amazing piece of right music. it's like it's like on its worst day it's still better than a lot you know it's, yeah <laughs> It's funny you mentioned exactly. the big hand thing. It made me think of um, I met Billy Corgan once and I shook his hands and I swear he has like like these frying pans for hands like they're enormous. It's like, you know, I, I, I told this make it into wrestling, but if you ever slap somebody in the NWA, they're going to know it. And, but like the dude plays stuff that I could never play. And I'm like, oh, OK, now I don't feel so bad. <laughs> like yeah he's, he's got a real unconventional approach to the guitar and yeah, yeah. I, I that doesn't the surprise in me general i would say well yeah. that's true yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny what we said about cliff and it got me thinking um so he passed away i maybe 83 that may be totally wrong but that's what's in my head it probably like some in the early 80s i'm assuming 80 86 it was there it was a uh, master of puppets yeah it was there it was there oh they were on tour in europe for master of puppets uh, I think it had been out like three or four months at that point. So they had already done their tour earlier in the year in the States with Ozzy. Then they went to Europe and I think Anthrax was actually supporting them on that tour. And they, uh, yeah, they were going in, I think they were, they left Norway or they played a show in Sweden and then they were going wherever's West of Sweden. And that's when, yeah, the bus accident happened. What do you think someone like him was listening? Like, like you mentioned before, some of the, the bass stuff on like Orion and stuff. Where do you think someone like his influences come from? Because I, I think in my head, people like like maybe Progress, like of course, like Sabbath and things like that. But like, mm -hmm. I mean, it just seems like for the '80s, like just way different from what a lot of other people were doing, especially in mainstream. Well, they weren't really mainstream yet, but they're they're getting there, you know. Yeah, and still, even, like, you look at the photos of them, like, there's the three guys all wearing, like, you know, basically the leather jackets and the jeans and stuff, and he was the only guy with, like, a denim vest and, like, a misfit yeah. shirt underneath and, like, bell-bottom jeans and, like, just sort of had a, a, a awkward way about him. But um, from what I've read and from what I've, you know, seen from interviews and things like that, it sounds like, yeah, Rush was definitely one of his influences and obviously Geezer from, from Sabbath with, like, the fuzzed-out bass tone and playing with your fingers. Um, but then they also said that, like, he was really on the cusp of, like, 
you know, what became alternative rock. Like he was listening to REM in like the 85, 86 when, you know, long before they were mainstream yeah. and just, you know, kind of unconventional stuff. And then I, I guess he was sort of into classical music too. And that's how he sort of taught James and Kirk uh, about like harmonizing guitars and things like that. Cause kill them all. That had basically all been written before Cliff joined the band. So he didn't really contribute any musical input on that other than his playing. But then Ride the Lightning opens up with like a classical guitar intro to Fight Fire with Fire. And it's because Cliff like taught them how to do all that stuff. And so I'm uh, glad you still do those harmonies uh, today. And it's great. Yeah. So it's so we I asked you what your favorite album was because I wanted to just, you know, go back and revisit some stuff. And you mentioned um, Ride the Lightning. So I put that on the other day. I'm proud to say that I ran the fastest 5K I've done all year. It was um, 29, nice. 29 minutes and 49 seconds to ride the lightning um, yeah so i might listen to some more metallica so today i actually listened to unharrowed today and uh i for um uh, uh which is only 15 minutes long but it's a, it's a great 15 minutes it left me wanting more but um so thank you for that i think metal might be my new workout music but the first thing i was thinking of like when that first song came on is I'm like, wow, this feels like a very Led Zeppelin-y intro. intro. I mean, not like wicked like Led Zeppelin, but like, ah, oh, I could feel sort of the influence here that I didn't really remember from like hearing a Metallica before. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. I know, because it's got that sort of like chimey, like 12-string guitar sort of. Yeah. You know, very sort of like classic, neoclassical European sort of acoustic instrumentation that Zeppelin, you know, definitely implemented from here from time to time um yeah i mean ride the lightning for me there was just something about the overall sound of that album like so that summer that i mentioned before about like digging into their past stuff i remember somebody brought over injustice for all on cassette and like from the get-go that's just it, it fades in with like the loud harmonized guitars for the intro to black end and then it goes right into that incredibly fast like off-time riff I think at the time I heard that it was still a little too out there for me. Like I couldn't quite process it. Like it wasn't just a simple four, four beat like you'd hear on the, on the black album. It was like, you know, prog metal basically. And it was, yeah. it was a little too much for my 12 year old brain to handle. Yeah. It wasn't until later when I, you know, got the live set that I could kind of fully digest that album. But um, something about ride the lightning, it was still sort of song focused and, and melody focused. And it wasn't, even though Fight Fire with Fire then explodes into an crazy fast riff after that quiet intro, it was still like a digestible riff, I guess. And to me, it just like stuck with me. And then I had already known For Whom the Bell Tolls, because that was on uh, Woodstock 94. They Metallica had one song on that CD set, which my yeah. brother owned. So, of course, I just listened to their For Whom the Bell Tolls from Woodstock, you know, nonstop until I finally got Ride the Lightning and had the studio version. Um, but that I think today is still my favorite song of all time. From the Bell Bell it's not a yeah. bad one. Like I hadn't heard it in a long time, and I heard it. And you know, when I heard it yesterday, I was just like, "Yeah, this is a song." Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> such a big, it's just such a big, dumb, loud, like just heavy pounding rock metal song. But I don't know, just I, that song just resonated with me and the the intro and the bass riffs that cliff does and then when the guitars come in with the descending riff it's just i don't know it, it's just perfection to me so and it's that, funny that, i know I think, 
I was listening to a remastered version of it. I know all the stuff's been re- <laughs> we've done a thousand <clears throat> thousand times, but I couldn't believe how great it sounded. Like it sounded like really, it sounded really big. And you know, yeah. like, it's like you go back and listen to some stuff now. Like, I listen to a lot of hip hop, and some of that from the '90s, the sound quality isn't even there, even when they tried to bring it up. But this, it sounded really pristine and just. Yeah, I mean, the jump, like I said, from Kill 'Em All, which was produced. I think in New York City by Megaforce Records and Johnny Zazula, who's the guy who like signed them. I think I they're think still going strong. <laughs> well, they actually. So I think it was like last week or two weeks ago. Um, within the last year and a half, the husband and wife team that founded Megaforce Records had passed away. Uh, not together, but they both passed away within the last year and a half. So Metallica played a, a tribute concert to them at the Hard Rock in Hollywood, Florida. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and they only played songs from Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning because those were the first two albums they put out on Megaforce, which was That's so sick. Cool. So they, they put a few clips on YouTube. I was actually watching that earlier today. They played uh, The Call of Cthulhu, which is the instrumental that yeah, closes Ride, Ride the Lightning. Lightning. Yeah. And, and Rob Trujillo, man, he's such a great bass player. And he's very similar to Cliff in terms of you know playing with his fingers and playing with the distortion. So he, he really did that song justice. And uh, it was... Uh, yeah, so anyways, t- tangent there. But yeah, <laughs> Ride the Lightning. Just something about that album was just, it, it's so massive and just sounds great. I mean, Creeping Death, it, the, whenever they play a concert, if they open with that, it's like the highlight of the night or they can save it for the end of the set. But like when they do that die chant in the middle, and that's another one that on the live box set, when they, they like extend that and let the crowd chant die for, you know, like a minute and a half before they come back in with a riff. And it's just, it's the coolest thing seeing, you know, 15,000 people just pumping their fists, chanting die <laughs> while so, the bass plays the riff. It's funny you mentioned that because so when I was a kid, you know, we, we grew up around the time of like, you know, the parental advisory stickers and, you know, all that. And Metallica was never like really swear heavy. Um, but like there was definitely this aura of good music and bad music around that time. And Metallica was closer to the bad music side. I mean, bad in terms of like, like like judgment in terms of this being bad for you to listen to or somehow like exactly right right so was metallica sort of taboo like in your house or anything or was this like something that like was seen as offensive or just annoying or obnoxious i think by the time i got into them it wasn't really an area of concern for oh you had older brother so they paved the way Exactly right. Yeah, it, with him, I remember it was more some of the hip hop and rap albums he would buy uh, that they'd want to like take a look at. Um, it's funny. I remember the first thing my dad kind of looking at for for an early CD that I got that he that sort of raised a red flag was uh, Kerplunk by Green Day, and it was because of the song "Dominated Love Slave," which is like the joke song that yeah. the drummer sings about you know just getting whipped and beaten by a, a female and, and him loving it and uh but like i didn't even understand why that like i thought it was like a joke song You're like oh this guy likes to get beat up i didn't understand it's the, it's uh, always funny I know, with, with parents it. where it's like they they find kind of find the wrong things and you're like right. oh they almost call your attention to something because i have this very distinct moment of like sort of similar to that I bought the Ghetto Boys We Can't Be Stopped tape, and that's the one that has, like, Bushwick Bill after he got shot in the eye. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's the picture of him in the hospital, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I bought it when I was with my grandparents in, like, up in New Hampshire, and I put it on my tape deck, and I was literally scared. And I remember listening to the first, and this was, like, right around the time it came out, like, 90, 91. I remember being like, oh, 
I'm not ready for this. And like, I literally put it away for like six months because I was like, I can't listen to this now. But like, and so like my, if anyone ever looked at that cassette, they'd be like, what the fuck? Like the, like the song titles and all this shit and they listened to it. Yeah. But it's like, it was always something like pretty benign about like, I remember being, having like my grandfather yell at me because I played an Aerosmith song where like, who were like, there was a belching sound in it. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't, it's Aerosmith. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eat the eat the rich. And That's the song, the and I'm like, I don't know. I yep. forgot it's even. It's like, whatever, you know, right yeah. to their fan club. It's inside the cassette tape, but um, I don't know. It, the the those goalposts have moved so many times. Yeah, I remember. Like, luckily, like you said, Metallica didn't really have parental advisory on their studio albums, which was great. The box set, obviously, like right there, it says "live shit" is the name right. of the thing. So, like, you you can assume there's going to be a lot of swears on it, and there were. Um, what I wasn't expecting was, you know, there's occasional nudity, like they'll, you know, call attention yeah. to the ladies in the audience, and then there's a couple of flashing. And that uh, stuff always yeah, got me I remember, by surprise I remember my... too when I was a kid. Like, I, I remember buying like a Marky Mark D, like cassette tape. I mean, VHS, and there was a bunch of that in it. And I'm like, I didn't see that coming. My parents were like, "What the fuck's wrong?" Yeah. Here? Oh, and uh, to bring it to wrestling, the D Generation X home video was rated TVMA, and uh, it had all their like controversial moments on TV uncensored. So it's got that whole press conference uh, oh. where they're doing the Clinton thing, but they're actually saying the curse words. And then uh, it would have triple H in the ring, like pointing to women in the audience after raw went off the air and showing them flash. And I was like, Oh, I was not expecting uh, nudity on a WWF produced home video, but yeah, luckily you know, I didn't watch that one with my parents. <laughs> I was, I was watching um, Saturday night's main event recently, actually for a different episode of this. I was going back and Vince was making some comments on, on commentary about Miss Elizabeth. And I'm like, the signs were there, man. The signs were there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, this does not age well, about Mini Mac. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So, uh, but um, yeah, no, the, the home videos were, uh, yeah, always a crapshoot when it came to the music. But, um, yeah, there, there was nothing that controversial about their music that my parents ever kind of turned me away from. Um, like I, they were one of those bands that could be like, oh no, read the lyrics. Like they're, they're smart and there's, uh, yeah. they're not swearing. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until like, you know, the Marilyn Mansons of the world came around that they got a little nervous, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that dude. Um, <laughs> Um, so what about seeing them live? I'm guessing you've probably seen them a bunch of times. I've seen them a few times myself. Do you remember the first time you saw them? I do. It was uh, so load came out in 96. Um, my first concert that I went to ever was in the summer of 1997. And I went with my dad and my brother to see Jimmy Buffett at uh, Great Woods in Mansfield, Massachusetts. Not, not a bad show, man. It's Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. It was, de- it was the first time I smelled marijuana, so I, I remember yeah. being like, what is that? And them telling me what it was. I was like, oh, okay, that, interesting. Um, I don't know if maybe that's why I wasn't a big pot guy, because I didn't like the smell at that concert, but I, I don't know. But yeah, you know. <laughs> the following year... Uh, so, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know anything about not being a very big podcast, so I can't answer that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's for sure. Um, the later on in '97 was when Metallica released Reload, and so they had they had toured in '96 and done like arena shows. I think they played the Worcester Centrum uh, and probably the, the Fleet they did. Center. I whatever, remember people in my high school going called. to that show. Nice. Okay, they played yeah, the Garden too. Sense. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I'm pretty sure they played in Boston, too. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember like there was a kid in my grade that had the shirt from that. And I just remember thinking like, damn it. Like, that, what a so badge cool, of honor but... that was to come back to like school. Like, Oh yeah. Especially with, like... when you're 12 or 13. Yeah. yeah. I went to a pumpkin so cool. show when I was in like the ninth grade. That was my first show ever. And it was like the five people went to that show, came back with pumpkin shirts. Like, you know, you're like, Huck. Oh yeah. I think my brother went to that shirt and bought me, went to that show and bought me a shirt. I, I, I still have the I shirt. A, that's, oh, that's awesome. It didn't fit me um, then, but it fits me now. I got to break this shit out. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I have like a green day dookie shirt from like 95 that was down to my knees. And now it like, you know, fits me like a exercise shirt, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways, my first time seeing Metallica, Reload had come out in late 97, and they had announced that they were going to do a tour in the summer of 98. So my second concert ever was at the same venue, Great Woods, uh, and it was Metallica with uh, Jerry Cantrell as the uh, support, and then Days of the New were the opener. So it was uh, it was it was pretty good. It was, it Days was a good of the show. New. They, they maybe yeah. I don't know the music as well as I thought they did. They, they, is that that's not, I thought they were a little more like um, Seven Mary Three ish. Maybe that's just my own like. They were so they were like acoustic, very acoustic based, but they still played like really loud. So like their their songs actually translated pretty well to to a live. You know, rock, yeah, I guess it's probably a good opener for them because you can't, you probably don't want to have it being like, you know, all out from, you know, Metallica still got to yeah, save your energy for that. I'm old. I'm talking about yeah. saving energy. <laughs> like, we're like, you I know, know right? you're like 18, 15 when this happened. The energy was not a problem. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. So, Days of the New opened it. They, they were pretty good. And then Jerry Cantrell, who I already had loved at that point because I loved Alice in Chains, uh, was touring for his first solo album at the time. Um, and his band was great on that tour. Uh, they actually closed with Brain Damage Eclipse by Pink Floyd, which was which was awesome. Uh, and then Metallica did their their set. And at that point, Metallica was kind of like experimenting with things in terms of their set lists, um, you know, playing a lot of old stuff mixed with the newer load and reload stuff. And then they'd throw in a three song acoustic sort of interlude oh, in the middle yeah. of the show which was which was cool i i enjoyed it um they played two nights at mansfield i went to the first night i guess the second night cantrell came out and played uh one of their cover songs with him which which was pretty cool um but i i didn't get to see that but no it, it was it was an awesome show they opened uh with bread fan which was a cover of a budgie song uh that was originally a b-side of i think either eye of the beholder in the 80s um, and again, back then you couldn't always find like the rare cassettes or, or, you know, B-sides from the, from back in the day. So that was my first time, I think, hearing them play that song. And I just remember thinking like, oh, what the hell is this? And then like reading about it on AOL or whatever after the show that, oh no, that's a cover song that they've done for years. Uh, and then like later that year is when they put out their Garage Inc. set, I which guess. was a re-release of all their old cover B-sides, which it has my favorite, has my favorite Metallica song on it. My favorite. Well, it's, 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 it's a cover, but Stone Cold Crazy by them is my yes. go-to. I, oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, it's, yeah. I always imagined that they spent, I, I had heard that long before I heard the Queen version, the, the original the Queen version. And I had kind of expected the Queen version not to be as, as fast, but that goes at a pretty hefty pace too. Like I thought, yeah, Metallica was I, I was really surprised. Like a you know a charge up its ass, but they were just you know. <laughs> no, yeah, they're pretty faithful to the original on that, and uh, it's funny. I remember the uh, they did the Metallica a year in a life, a year and a half in the life of Metallica home videos, 
Um, and I had gotten the second part first just because I think the store didn't have the first part, you know, when, when I yeah wanted to buy that video that day. And uh, it's, it's all about the Black Album tour cycle. And at one point they do the Freddie Mercury tribute concert. Uh, oh, I remember that. Watching Wembley. that. I remember watching it too. I think it was yeah. on Fox. We remember yeah, we had remember. we taped it off TV and we watched it so much. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, James sings "Stone Cold Crazy" with Queen, also yes. featuring Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath on extra guitar. It's like, oh, and, and he's like rehearsing with them on that home video, and you get get to see him just see like oh, two of his biggest influences and idols and here's like james who's probably like 28 at the time in one of the biggest bands in the world just like loving life it's it's so cool that is crazy to think that like that they i mean they were i they've been pretty much around my entire life so they always felt like adults to me but the fact mm-hmm. that he was really only like 28 around that time is pretty wild like to be able to it's get insane. that good at that age is is pretty is pretty insane yeah, that's the thing that always blows me away, especially like listening to Ride the Lightning. I think they were like 21, 22 when they wrote and recorded that. Like that's nuts. Like Kill 'em All, they were 19. Like it's 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 crazy. Like I mean, obviously people can draw lines to like, oh, they were just stealing music from like the British bands and just speeding it up for Kill 'em All, like they weren't really doing anything revolutionary, but it's like they kind of were because they were the only band that had that style of playing, that sort of production, that sort of just in your face intensity. And I mean, thrash metal didn't really exist before them, and it certainly did after. So, yeah, right. to say that they weren't revolutionizing anything, I, I think is definitely unfair. It, it's uh, wild, too, that, like, you know, I'm sure you've worked with different people over the years. It's hard to find people that you really gel with. So, not only were they all independently really good, they were all independently able to work with each other. Like, like I, like I was, when you're in a, in a group, it's like you're in a relationship with multiple people and it works about as well as it does. If you're in a relationship with multiple people, like it's just <laughs> it's very, it's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a pain in the ass. And I, I know, I know they've had some problems over the years, you know, they, as was, I believe documented in, um, uh, was it some kind some of, kind monster? of monster? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, um, was, was, uh, you know, honest, which is nice, but, um, you know, alcohol is a hell of a drug. Yeah. <laughs> um, alcoholica, I believe they had one of the best, um, behind the musics. Oh yeah. So good. So good. Yeah. And that, that again, that came out, I think probably like 97, 98. So again, it was like, Oh, I'm getting to learn even more history than, than I had known. Um, and back then that just jarred my memory a little bit. They, you know, I used to read Metal Edge and Metal Maniacs magazines, um, and they would sometimes put out special issues, or you could order special issues from like the back of the magazine of like, oh, like get this Metallica retrospective, you know, special issue that we put together five years ago, and it's all like rare pictures and articles and interviews, and that was how I got a lot of history of bands I liked. Like I remember doing that about Kiss too. Like I, I ordered. Bunch yep. of kiss magazines and just like learned all i could because that was back before you know internet access was yeah. completely readily available like i think we had one computer that could access it but like by the time you download an article to you know read about the history of kiss it, someone picks up the phone and kicks it's you off gone line, yeah so. for me it was <laughs> yeah. my, my brother always had guitar world and like circus magazine and stuff like that and i used to always read yep. like i was obsessed with like spin like i would just read all these interviews with people i'd never heard of and then like i remember reading i remember that my first introduction to henry rollins was reading uh an interview in spin and i was like who the fuck is this guy he's, he's like <laughs> you know I, i'm a huge fan now um yeah 
So it's fun. I think my first time seeing Metallica was uh, of all places, Lollapalooza in Vermont. Um, nice. where they played with the Ramones, uh, Soundgarden, right? Soundgarden, Screaming Trees, yeah. RIP there, RIP Soundgarden, RIP Ramones. Um, I know. Rancid, who I'm still a huge if you've never seen Rancid live, do yourself a favor because they, they, I've me, heard that, yeah, yeah, they put on the performance of the night. Um, um and uh psychotica was the big band they were trying to push on that tour that i don't know if they ever even released another album that was the one that it felt like ooh, the the marketing department might have had something to do with this um for years i remember having the uh circus magazine to take it back to them i remember having like the circus magazine Lollapalooza issue about that 96 tour that's so cool yeah it was like what it was that it was at a dog racetrack in vermont um and, and Wu-Tang was supposed to be there, and I thought for years I'd miss them, and I only recently found out they they never actually showed up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I'm glad I didn't actually miss them. But, um, yeah, and they they went on last, and they just tore it down. Like, you know, I think we actually, because we were so far away, we were, we were kind of walking towards the car as for, for the encore. I just remember that, yeah. hey, hey, I got something to say. <laughs> It was like, all right. Oh yeah, they always love throwing that one out there. Yeah, the yeah. Last caress, misfits. Yep. I um I uh got to I was at a party uh, about a year or so ago, and um, a former member of the Misfits was there, and uh, I knew that a former member of the Misfits was going to be there, and I was like, I can't wait to see what this what this guy's like. And literally, first thing he came in, I was standing with five, like maybe four or five other people, and he immediately made a um a priest molesting a kid joke, like literally first thing oh, out boy. of his mouth. And I'm like, this dude's yeah. coming in hot and let us letting us know who he is. <laughs> That's hilarious. Was it yeah. was it the guy who replaced Danzig? One of the one of the. Um, I'll I'll tell you off whatever because okay, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you don't have to. But there is that. there is a um there is a uh, a funny story that. If you know anything about the Misfits, he'll tell you who he is. So I'll tell you after. <laughs> You're one of the few people who appreciate it. So yeah, oh definitely. Um. So yeah. So um. Uh, it's funny. I keep thinking of this, and I was gonna mention. You ever watch American Dad? Not since the early seasons, but I, you know, it's it's on a lot. So if I catch it, I, I do enjoy it. But, that's yeah. like one of my. That's like one of my go-to shows to watch. And um, there's an episode where uh. James Hetfield, I think it's James Hetfield, not Kirk Hammett. I forget. I think it's James. He plays a gym teacher, but he's playing himself as, but he's claiming not to be the same one from Metallica. <laughs> so that's that's worth tracking. I'll down. find that. Yeah, it's pretty no, funny. He's like, awesome. no, not me. <laughs> like, but it's I, remember, like, I think I remember legit. hearing about that because I, I mean, back. I remember when the South Park movie came out. I didn't see it in theaters, but I remember hearing like, oh, oh Metallica's in it. I'm like, wait, what? Metallica's in it? The South and Park movie really, was the first really. time I, I ever saw a movie that everybody was laughing so hard you had to see it again because you missed it. It was it was the funniest thing anybody had ever seen ever at that point. Oh, God. It's so, it, that movie is so fucking great. My, yeah. I, re- I rented that movie like my dad let me rent it. I watched it by myself on the basement TV and I was like laughing hysterically loving it. And then my dad was like, I, I got to watch that. So I gave it to him. And I remember hearing him laughing so hard from upstairs and just feel like, yeah. yep, I, I knew he was going to love that. Which um, was that movie yeah. me and my dad. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember hearing 
oh, Metallica's in the movie. And I was like, wait, what? They're not in the movie. I would have heard about that. But then it gets to the part where Kenny's going to first heaven. And then he gets to the gates and uh, gets rejected. And as he's going down to hell, like a punky kind of metal song starts playing. And then the voice kicks in and it's James. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, wow, he really did a voice on this. This is awesome. Yeah. So it's like hell isn't good, I think, is the name of the song. And uh, yeah, that that I mean, at that time, I was like in the height of my Metallica fanboy. I mean, I still am, obviously. But <laughs> just when I saw that, I, I was very thrilled. Yeah, it's funny that that when that first Spirit of Christmas came out from South Park, which was, it must have been like my first month of co- at, at college. That was something else where you'd think I don't. It was so mind. It, 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 to look at it now, it's probably not even that funny. But I can't state enough how funny that was at the time. Like, yeah, just I mean, the idea of cartoons swearing yeah. was not really a thing. Yeah, that was yeah. So seeing Cartman yeah. going like, "Yeah, fuck you," like that right. was like revolutionary. <laughs> it's so funny. And I remember, I remember my that agent. more than like anything else I learned at BU when I went there to study like film and television. <laughs> right. My my eighth grade math teacher uh, didn't have cable or didn't have Comedy Central at the time. So, like, he had heard us talking about South Park a lot. And uh, he's like, does anybody tape it? And I'm like, yeah, I actually do. So he borrowed, like, my tape of the first six episodes of South Park. And even after he returned it, he's like, probably shouldn't tell anybody yeah, yeah. I borrowed this one. But... <laughs> That's funny, too. I didn't, have, I didn't have um, cable until I was 21. And when I, I was a senior in college. And my my roommate had a black box. So I went from, like, zero to 60. But, like, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've never seen, like, Carissa knows it, like, you know, whatever knows it all. Like, there's, there's all this, yeah. these references I don't get. Like, I don't know. I don't know what they can't do on television, but I've never seen it, so I can't tell you. <laughs> but, um, you, you. You said I don't know, which on that show would get the green slime. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so... It, I did get it just in time, though, to become a wrestling fan. We watched that's that's actually when we became a wrestling fans because we were watching all the pay per views for free, and it was like, Oh, yeah, who is this rock guy? <laughs> yeah, I had a buddy who had a black box, and that came in handy huge when we were home for from college for the summers because we'd just bring it to somebody's house and watch the pay per views every month. I remember him, t- I remember he had to get another one because, um, he said that they sent a charge through the line because they know that people have them and it fries the box. I that is something that I'd like to go back and fact check. Is that, like, yeah, that I always that? heard that rumor too. I don't think that was true. That then hindsight sounds like totally asinine. Yeah, like, I think once probably, they switch to like unsafe. fiber optic lines or digital lines, that's when they stop working. But yeah, uh, up until like 2003, those, those were great. <laughs> yeah, now you just got like VPN doing the part of the world and like, you know, get right. it like cheaper, whatever. I don't know. I got to figure yeah. that out. There's an AEW pay per view this weekend that, um, oh, that's right. I do plan on watching, um, despite my, I don't know, <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about your music. So your um your album. So I knew you played guitar. I know you've been playing for years. Um, actually, last, the last thing I think I remember here you playing was Shinsuke Nakamura's theme song, which is an absolute jam. Anyway, <laughs> like you know, that is can't sound good playing yeah. that, you know. <laughs> but uh, that sounded dope. And then um the uh the album really like full lush sounding, very riff heavy. Um, I guess first question I want to ask you, the drums and bass, is that, where'd that come from on the album? So the bass is played by me. Uh, the drums, 
I guess I'll say is arranged by me. It's not actual acoustic drums being played by me or anything. Uh, it's more of like a programmed type yeah. of, you know, situation uh, through audio interface and, and uh, you know, DAW programs. But um, yeah, it was one of those things where like, I, I mean, when I started writing more and like recording my own ideas, I mean, I, I started kind of late, like for whatever reason, uh, in terms of playing, I always just liked playing songs along with artists that I liked. And, uh, you know, I, I would write things and like come up with ideas here and there. Um, but just never, I always thought like, oh, if I don't have like a full band, like what's the point of writing songs? Cause I'll never be able to record them. I'll never be able to play them live and like, just kind of talk myself out of it. And like, and it, as I got older and just like, started coming up with more things and technology got more accessible and, and the ability to sort of record your own demos and ideas got easier. That's when I just started doing it a lot more. So I remember when I got my first iPad, probably like 2013, 2014, that's when I started fooling around with GarageBand and, and coming up with beats that would then, you know, inspire riffs and inspire full songs and arrangements and just kind of taking it from there. Um, but they were still, yeah, I mean, the quality was never great. And it was just like, okay, you know, I never really had good equipment for it. Um, but then within the last couple of years, like once COVID hit, I just had a lot of free time on my hands as you know, many people. Um, yeah. And that's when I just started really, you know, not just recording, but like guitar in general, like, okay, how do people make modifications to their guitars? Like what, what are these things that I always wanted to teach myself, but never got around to it. So like setting up guitars, installing pickups, you know, changing out electronics, that sort of thing, got into that. Um, and just, yeah, it just was really sort of reinvigorated by being creative and being musical. Um, and yeah, just like changed up a bunch of my equipment, fixed up a bunch of my guitars, uh, and then started that's when the ideas really started coming. Cause it's like, Oh, I actually like the sound I'm making now. I'm not just playing out of like the same shitty amp I've had for 10 years. I actually have, you know, a sound that sort of inspires more creativity. I'm going to chase that. And then just taking the time to learn more about different recording methods and, and how to, you know, tweak things via EQ, teaching myself mastering to a certain point um, and just trying to, you know, find right mixes and levels for, for the ideas I was coming up with. And so basically, you know, like say a year ago is when the name kind of came to me and I thought, okay, that's a cool name. It's, you know, not one you see very often, like every metal band, I feel like you're, if you Google a name you think you come up with, you're going to find that it's already taken. So that one wasn't, and I was happy about it. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, I, I always, thought like okay do i need singing do i need lyrics do i need a vocal and i just had gotten so used to a lot of these ideas as they were instrumental and you know there's a lot of guitar melodies that sort of carry the songs on their own whether it's the riff or, or uh, some top line melodies that i just thought like i don't need to you know attempt a poor attempt at singing on top of this to, to make my music sound worse and i just the singing really... is not going to add to it. It's not worth being there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I was like, I also don't want to, you know, 
sort of sully this by, you know, bringing somebody else in. Like, I know what I want it to sound like. Yeah. I'm pretty close to where I want it to be. And, and it sounds the last... full. I mean, they 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 sound like full, complete song. I mean, I, I I'm saying like I'm surprised, but like, but like they, you don't. I listening to it, I didn't go where the vocals. Like it, it, it sounded amazing as it is, and comprehensive, and just full and lush. You know, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I've I've gotten that feedback from quite a few people, which is a, a big compliment. And I, and I think, you know, people hear instrumental metal, and they tend to think like, oh, it's going to be like. You know, Steve Vai or Joe yeah, Satriani. Like Maelstrom, whatever name yeah. I, I can't ever pronounce. Yeah, it. just guitar wanking all over the place. Yeah. Like, that's not my thing. Like, I'm not into that type of thing. I love, you know, songs. I love riff based music. I love yeah. hooks. I love, I love melody. Melody, remember. yeah. I, that, that, that's what I love about all that shit. Like, you know, it's, yeah. Um, it's funny. I was, when you were talking, I was thinking about something. Um, about the idea of confidence and you're talking about like adjusting your own stuff. Like I, I definitely felt that in my evolution as a musician, there was a guitar went from something that I was scared to break to being something that like I was became a tool that I could modify. And I think a lot of that becomes like you said, I don't know whether it's just a certain point of like, I hit a certain point in my life where I just started feeling confident about things. I'd done enough good things and I'm like, oh, I have the right to feel confident now. I could probably fix that thing. And it's crazy to think that Metallica was at somehow that level, like at, you know, 21, 22, but like, you know, here we are, like, it's, it's amazing that they're able to do that. But do you think that there's something that did you like, was there, for me, there was a time where there was a big shift where like, I went very slow for a long time and then I turned a major you know, curve in the past few years anything similar to you or like what, what, like like what really got you there? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the turning point was necessarily, but I, I definitely felt like I, like I said, I, maybe it was the pandemic. Maybe it was having just more free time, but there was, there was that something that was there. And I think just my overall confidence in general, I think like getting to a certain age where it's like, all right, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a dad. Like I have kids, like, realizing like I am a grown ass man. Like, why was I afraid of, you know, putting myself out there or like, yeah. well, why was I timid about what I want to do uh, in terms of, you know, artistically expressing myself and just, I don't know, just not having that fear anymore. I think and, and just being like, all right, I'm going to put the time into it. I'm going to work on it, get these songs to where I want them to be. And if I like it, then, you know, I, I feel like I've been listening to enough music for a long enough time that I think I know what sounds good to me. And if other people are into it, then that's great. And if they're not, that's, you know, at least I tried. But yeah. uh, getting, I mean, some pretty good numbers on the streaming from yeah. uh, Spotify, I for, for whatever reason, that seems to be the way people are, are gravitating towards the music. I mean, obviously, it's a very popular app and I use it myself. Um, but yeah, just when I check the artist uh, numbers every day, I'm just like, Oh wow. It just seeing the growth is kind of surprising. Um, and then getting to see the different songs that are resonating more than others. Uh, like as of the time of this recording for the last week, the third track, which is the mellow sort of interlude. That's almost an intro for the fourth track has been getting a lot of traction. And I think that's great. Uh, I think that's, that there's something there with just the production of that and how it kind of gets a little dissonant at the end with a little bit of keyboard thrown in there. Yeah, I think I people, that. you know, I, I don't know if it's getting picked up on, you know, instrumental playlists or whatnot, but I, I it's just cool to see, you know, the growth there. Um, and then with the new single that's coming out, 
that will obviously be out by the time people hear this. Uh, you know, being a, a further called? progression of it's a deprivation. Yes, and it's on deprivation. Yeah, with yes. it being sort of a further progression of the melodic riffs, and uh, you know, just more of the similar style, but um, just something I wanted to put out on its own. Uh, I'm just excited to see where where that goes. Yeah, so I the numbers you're getting looked great. I mean, because I've, I've I've put up music a little bit this year. I mean, I found that that you know I get a lot better response when I have like artists that are a little well, more well known. But you're doing this all by yourself. I mean, to what, to what to what do you attribute? Is that like just is it through Spotify algorithms? Um, like why? What do you attribute that excess? I mean, because there's a lot of good music out there that never gets heard. So it's like right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've been lucky in terms of it not necessarily being from the algorithms i've i've found that over the last like couple of years is when i sort of shift like a lot of what i used to just be on twitter for was for wrestling and just like politics and news and shit like that and it was good to follow things but like i wasn't that active and engaging in things and then like a couple of years ago i was on vacation uh with my family and like i just happened to like tweet something about heavy metal and I found a couple of hashtags and I was just like, holy shit, there's like a much like larger community about metal on Twitter than I had previously realized. So I just started following people and people started following me back. And I, I feel like I just got a good enough sort of group of people that I interact with fairly regularly on there that when I started, uh, you know, putting the word out there that I was going to be releasing something, I started getting followers from that and you know, just sharing it through my personal Twitter and then the, through the unharrowed band Twitter, um, just getting a, a lot of traction there. And then Instagram, similar things. So just finding different metal bands, mostly local. I, I kind of just wanted to see, you know, who else was out there in the scene right now, or even on the instrumental side, like try to build connections there and, uh, you know, just grow it from the ground up and, just sharing reels and, and different clips uh, of the songs through Instagram has been a, a pretty good way to build that audience. Um, I don't understand how the algorithm works on Instagram. There was one video I posted of me playing one of my riffs along with the song and it got like close to 2000 views, which I was shocked. Yeah. And then most of my other ones get like, two to three hundred maybe but it's it's uh, wild i had one a few weeks ago they got four thousand the next one got like eight hundred the next one got like three thousand the next one got like five and just yeah. like and it's always the ones that like i have a new song coming up black friday dropping black friday crown me now with copyright and honest and pillsy beats and dj Slipwax. i posted about it the other day i got six likes and i'm like i'm like what is like i feel like it's i, I know it's i'm like going like all oh, the conspiracy of instagram oh they know i'm trying to promote something they're trying to like you know down push it i'm like no it's just whatever but like i yeah. just don't think how that works <laughs> i feel that way about facebook like facebook oh I, yeah i I've shared my page with a bunch of friends and I, I got a good amount of followers. Not, not a good amount. I mean, I got like 30, but I mean, just in terms yeah. of the people I sent it to, a lot of them followed it. But then, yeah, whenever I post an update, I don't think it's getting in anybody's feed because I get like two, three likes at most, but yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's but I think, is- yeah. What I really realized is that it's like, it's not like people I've known my entire life. Like, I'm like, oh man, I put this album out. Like, I've been working on it for five years. Like, you know, it's awesome. They're like, 
cool man listen like they listen like two songs of it and like forget about it like some dude that i've like talked to like on instagram like off and on for six months never met that's the, the person that's like super into it it's like it's like the the i've realized that you're never gonna get like rich and famous and validation from your friends and family and from the artistic so it's like facebook for me is like i right, just get out of here I, I i only need people i don't know <laughs> yeah no i and it's so funny you mentioned that like that just brought to mind, I had a real strong group of, and a lot of these people I am still friendly with and, and close with of, of friends through, like, uh, uh, basically it was like a wrestling podcast group that split off into a couple other groups that, you know, that group for the last five, six years has just always been super supportive of each other, just super encouraging across different social media channels. And yeah, the response there, I mean, from these people, even the ones that you know, I'm not really on Facebook that much anymore, but uh, the, the people still step up and like share and just, it, it, and I do the same to them. And it, it's, it's just great to have that support network, even if it's mostly people I've never actually met in person. It's, it's, yeah. it's cool. I hope for your sake that the metal community is a lot more supportive of each other than the hip hop community. Cause like I always said about with hip hop, it's like the problem with hip hop is that like, if you can't afford a guitar, you can still afford to rap. And it's like, so therefore, there's there's literally zero barrier for entry to call yourself a rapper. You don't even have to buy a guitar or anything like that. Right. And so, like, it's impossible to go to a hip-hop show if you're, if you're like, in the opening act and not be performing to a room full of other people who are trying to get on stage to sell you a CD or something. And it's just, yeah. it's one of the hardest, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses for the lack of Grammys on my wall, but, like, it's, it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty, if you can impress a hip, an under, like, a hip-hop crowd of, like, those people, you know you're doing something right. How do you no, find I... the metal community to be? So there's definitely people like that. Like, I mean, obviously, like I said, like, I'm not a Steve Vai. I'm not a Joe Satriani. Like, I'm not the most skilled technical yeah. guitar player in terms of flashiness or, or showing off. Um, but I also don't really care about that that much. But I know that there are people in the community like that are, you know, those shredding type guitar players. The gatekeepers. That probably, <laughs> exactly. They probably, you know, if they come across my videos, they're probably like, like what is this oh, guy man. doing like, yeah. what is that really his technique like that he calls that a solo uh but whatever like that's not the like i'm not trying to appeal to like guitar nerds necessarily i'm just trying to appeal to people that like metal that like good songs i just mine just don't happen to have any words or lyrics and uh i think you know my to bring it back to metallica like my fascination with them and the thing that always drew me to them was like just that sound of like the riff of the band as yeah. a cohesive unit and that's that's the biggest influence of mine you know probably not that shocking for people who've heard my songs obviously i throw in other things in there um you know in different styles of metal but uh, yeah they were they were really the basis for you know all of my musical learnings i guess and i think in general obviously there's many different styles and subgenres of metal um you know, and there's some that are more trendy than others and, and some that are more extreme than others, like death metal and doom metal tend to be the ones that are sort of like in the underground or the most respected. Uh, and I don't really play either. I mean, sometimes I play some slower riffs that could border on, on doomish, you know, coming from the Sabbath sort of school. Um, but in general, you know, a lot of my stuff is just based out of the sort of thrash, you know, maybe combined with a little bit of grungy mid-page stuff in there too because that, that was a big part of my growing up um 
but I, I think in general, people like good riffs and uh, hooky melodies and things like that, that, that they've been supportive of it and receptive to it. And I hope that continues to be the way. I mean, I'm wearing an exhumed T-shirt right now that has, you know, a guy chainsawing somebody uh, pro-lifer's face off. So, like, clearly I love the underground stuff and love the death metal and love yeah, a lot of the more extreme stuff. Yeah, we're also both doing an ad for the – we're also sponsored by North Face. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Of course. Um, we're both Who wearing North Face this time of year. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, no. I it, I think in general the metal scene, at least in the circles that I travel via social media, are all real supportive and encouraging, and uh, that I I couldn't be more thankful to have that support. Yeah, I will say too. I was just thinking about um, your album. One thing, the EP. One thing I really loved about it is that the way you, the riff really takes you for a ride. Like, you know, sometimes when you think riff, you think like, you know, that, that smells like teen spirit riff, that, that four bar thing. And, uh, there's something obviously, you know, Metallica does a little bit of too, or probably a lot of, but like, you really feel like you're, it, it's, it's roller coastery is, um, is too cliche, but you feel like you're picked up somewhere, taken on a ride and left someplace else. And it, it really takes you on a journey where it's not like, like it, it wasn't something that like 30 seconds and I'm like, Oh, I, I know where the song's going or I've heard this before. And it really sucked me in. And I don't know, man, I really loved it. I, I am super pumped to hear this new single too. Like what, what how, I'm assuming you must feel pretty encouraged and validated by this response. Is there even more coming? Yes. Um, so the, the single was sort of something that had been in progress that I had been tinkering on that I just couldn't, get the arrangement right for whatever reason. Um, but I always had the different parts and just was having trouble arranging them in a specific way. And then uh, I got like a new bass and that sort of inspired me to switch things up for some reason. And it, and it came out a lot quicker than I thought it was going to. So then I, you know, once I recorded what I thought was a finalized version of it, I just didn't want to sit on it until I had more songs to put out. So I was just right. like, all right, I'm going to put this one, even though the EP just came out a month ago uh, by the time I was ready to release the single. So, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things where that, that song, just, I, once I finished it, I just felt like, all right, people need to hear this. And if, if the reception is there, great. If, if maybe I jump the gun and I'm uh, putting too much out there too soon, then, you know, that's fine. I'll learn from that. But I, I think people are going to be into it. Um, and then, yeah, as far as down the road, I've got ideas cooking, uh, for another release. Um, I don't have a timetable for that. I would assume I'd like to get it out by the end of next year of 2023 or this year when people are listening to this probably, but, um, well, we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see where things go, but de definitely got some more ideas cooking and I, I plan on continuing with this project because I, I feel like I've really settled into a groove of, you know, what it is I'm doing and, and sort of, you know, let the songs take me where they go. And uh, I feel like I found a pretty, pretty good sound with it. So, yeah, I'm it's hard. It's hard to put a timetable on, on me, on art too. Cause um, I, my, uh, my new album, drinking songs for children, I said on my 2009 album, it was coming in 2010 and it was just finished this year and won't be out for at least another <laughs> year or so. That was my COVID project. Like that, that was the funny thing too, that when I, um, 
when I I was thinking about you for this, and I was like, oh, I bet this is the same. I bet he did the same thing I did, where like COVID started happening. He started looking around, and going, I got to do something with some of this stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. and like, yeah, it was you're just, not wrong. <laughs> yeah, and it was just like, all right, well, it's like now at least, like you know, you have a little more resources to do something. You can make better decisions. Like you understand technology a little bit better, and like it's it's amazing how much easier this stuff is with a little bit of knowledge and like a little bit of I don't know just wisdom and it is and, and you just you just kind of thought jogged another thought in my head about you know the barrier for entry that you were talking about and i i think there's that sort of thing among let's say home recording artists uh even in metal that you know oh like there's such a community about the gear behind it all like oh what plugins are you using you know what drum samples are you like i don't want to get into specifics of any of that because yeah. like a, what I think I do is pretty basic on that level, and I'll probably be judged as like a simpleton. But I also think like if I can do what I'm doing and I think it sounds good using the tools I'm using, then I don't think it's anyone's business like what the gear is behind it. Like I, I'm happy to show off my guitar and like where that tone comes from. But beyond that, like for the instruments that I guess are less authentic, um, you know, I, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of it because to me it's it's not that exciting like to me it's just a tool like if i can get the sounds i'm looking for out of drums and they fit the songs and like sound like a distinctive yeah cohesive piece of music then that's really all i'm going oh i'm not above banging a like a metal pot with a wooden spoon over here if it's going to get me the right sound so like i absolutely yeah the um the bass that I played the most on my hit on the hit songs I've released my hip hop songs is a um three quarter inch rock axe bass that must weigh I don't know four or five hundred pounds and it it like it's it literally is the biggest piece of shit bass you could possibly have but it and I bought it for like you know seventy five bucks off a friend and like yeah junior high but it's still the one that gets played the most it's like it's it's i it's i've never been one of those people who are super into like the it's like it's the end result i mean the the result the the, the reality is now was we all have better whether we even use it or not so by owning an iphone we have better recording equipment like the beatles had so it's like yeah like, absolutely you know what are we doing here <laughs> right and it's funny, like metal in particular has like a very distinct production style. Like if you go on to Spotify or any streaming and go to like new metal, like not not NU metal. Well, I would say NU metal. <laughs> yeah, no, not none of that shit. But like newer metal, it's all very like just very digital sounding, very pristine, very not all of it. I shouldn't say all of it, but a lot of metal put out by I guess some of the larger labels within the metal scene tends to fall that way um you know not not all of them again i'm painting with a broad brush but like more often than not 90 percent of it sounds 90 percent of the new releases have that similar sheen whether it's death metal or black metal and it's all just like the drums are very very loud every everything is very very loud and i made a conscious effort to like sort of have that sort of quieter dynamic to the recording and it, and it was more just because like I, that's what I like to listen to something that has more of a dynamic range uh, like older metal that I tend to gravitate towards um, as opposed to just that sort of brick wall everything as loud as it can be sound and I, I don't put a ton of gain on the guitars like they still sound heavy it's still definitely metal um, from the riffs and everything but it's not that over processed overproduced sound um, and I think that 
technology has enabled a lot of things to sound like that. And while it might sound more professional, quote unquote, I'd much rather sound the way I sound it have sort of that distinct quality to it. Cause I, I think it still sounds clean and still sounds, you know, decipherable. It's not raw. Um, it's just a little bit more, I guess, classic in the, in the, in the production approach. I mean, I, I played it um, on the same equipment and in the same room in a similar, like within like a short period of time as ride the lightning. And, I mean, the remaster thing, and there were, it didn't, it sounded like equivalent. Like, you know, I'll do that with my songs or I'll throw it in, in, in like a, in like a, in a thing in, in like a shuffle and see how mine sound comparatively. And they were, it felt the same, filled the same sonic space. I mean, it sounded really. I, wow. That's, that's a big compliment. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. You ever listen to um, Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats? I haven't really. No, I've always heard the name, but I, I've never they, actually listened to the metal. Band. They're like the metal. I mean, they're like the metal band around now that I'd say I'm a, I'm a legit fan of. I saw them in Colorado a few years ago too, on and they were. I would say definitely they're kind of stoner metally. But like, I'm not really a Tool fan, but I guess a lot of Tool fans are into them. But like, I, I would highly. Oh, recommend interesting. Them. Yeah, I think. Yeah, they're they're a lot more Sabbathy to me. They're British, but yeah, I would definitely recommend them. I think you dig them. Yeah, if if any of my friends from Twitter end up listening to this uh, that are into the stone or doom thing, you know, don't judge me, but I'll 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 check them out. <laughs> it's just there's so that's something I think about sometimes is like so when I this actually ties back to Metallica a little bit. I remember like my brother telling me when he was probably already in high school and I was in maybe he was in junior high and I was in like grade school or whatever in elementary, him being like in high school, man, if you don't wear a Metallica t-shirt, you're gonna get made fun of. It's like that's the only thing you can like and I'm probably exaggerating with time, but it was like there's either Metallica or you're like other. And to yeah. some degree it was kind of true. I think in the time, those few years, it became a little less true. But um, there was a lot of Metallica around then. Did you, um, what, did you feel any of that back then? Like, was there, was was there a certain identity that went along with being a Metallica fan? I think by the time I was into it, it was like such a mainstream thing that, like, even though I felt it was a big part of my identity. It wasn't really like that out of the norm. Like, I, I feel like you were probably a little more brave uh, being a Metallica fan in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, than as opposed to the mid to late nineties, like I was. Um, oh, I was you know, trying to be a hip hop to... fan. That, that was real bravery. was trying to be a hip hop fan. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I got called a word that I don't even, that I don't even like using, but it's just, yeah. it's a horrible word. That starts with the W. That is mm-hmm. basically you just like do people not realize what a horrible like thing you're doing when you say that. I mean, not for me. No, but it's awful. People, but yeah. yeah, yeah. It's for some reason like it was okay to tease people about music back then, and I I, I wonder oh, yeah. if that happens today because like I feel like it can't. Like there's so much different music now. It was like, oh, you don't like Metallica? What do you like? Like Boys to Men? And it's like, well, they're both awesome, but like. <laughs> Did you do you do you remember coming up in an era where those teasing about music and do you think that still exists today? I I don't think it does exist. I mean, I bet it exists in terms of like, say, you know, the typical schoolyard bully thing. Like, if a if a boy listens to like a female artist, I feel like he's probably more inclined to getting teased by that. Maybe that was just my own experience growing up. But uh, if anybody I, wants I to know, tease that's... me, but like Mariah Carey, you know where to find me. Yeah, exactly. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I, I think back then, too, I think the sort of financial commitment required to like an artist and support them was 
something that people felt more comfortable mocking like oh you have a 311 shirt which yes this happened to me but uh oh you have a 311 shirt like oh you like that band like what do you have all their cds and it's like yes okay like you've outed me i probably spent a hundred dollars on 311 merch like sorry that that offends you you know what's funny (laughs) you mentioned that so i i had i went out and bought a cypress hill t-shirt that said latin lingo in the back and i wore it all the time and everybody made fun of me but i still have it in my closet then one day i was at strawberries the tape store outside and a kid tried to buy it off of me and like trade shirts with me and he was wearing like a red mesh shirt and i'm like okay i'm not gonna sell you my shirt but thank you for giving me the validation Like, that's all you need. You, get, you need once you find the people that actually support what you're into, then you kind of realize like, oh, whatever. People are gonna make yeah. fun of just these assholes that I live around. <laughs> oh, they exactly. just don't like yeah. me for my personality, and they're choosing to, to mention this. They're choosing to make it about the shirt. That's probably what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that could be it too. Or, or yeah. they're just very miserable and insecure themselves, and they gotta they project. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Uh, yeah. Glad those days are gone, though. This is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, this goes back to the confidence of, like, why, you know, 15, 16, 70-year-old me could never feel, you know, confident enough to actually write my own music and, and put things out there. Maybe if I had the technology back then, I would have, but I don't think so. Because I remember, you know, writing demos on boombox cassettes uh, with just guitars. And uh, oh man, occasionally I share all of my other... sound, man. I did oh, so bad. I, oh man, so bad. And they probably like I would share the ideas with other guitar playing friends, and like you know, we'd hypothetically talk about forming a band and practice for a month and then never do anything with it. But uh, yeah, it took me to turn almost 40 to finally feel, I guess, strongly enough about what I want to get out there creatively, and uh, I'm glad I'm doing it. It was really hard though back in those days. Like I'm thinking back to like high school bands where you it's like you had to really get all on the same page, all somehow get the money to go to a studio, all like not only like get to the studio and not kind of freeze up, which cause some people sort of can't perform in those environments. It's right. like it was and then hopefully this the the one like little studio in the few town area for us, hopefully the guy knows what he's doing and he mixes your shitty playing to sound good it's like no wonder everybody yep. gave up but like that's the thing we come down to in this podcast a lot of people i talk to is it's all about outlasting other people because just by not giving up every day there's less people that you're competing with and the new people coming on are, are way behind you so you don't have to worry about them as much but yeah no that's a great way of looking at it yeah so so um i don't know it's getting late here and i want to keep up too much of your time but um any uh closing words for us of encouragement or any recommendations you want people to check out or um we'll hang on a little after i stop recording because i'll tell you that misfit story okay great (laughs) um no i mean i obviously i just want to thank you for the time uh i haven't done a lot of press for this as we discussed it's been very grassroots and through social media to get the word out there um, but I, I am really thrilled with the reception thus far. Um, I, I would not have expected thousands of people to have listened to this uh, little thing that I, you know, kind of just did for myself. Uh, but the fact that it's getting out there and people are enjoying it is is really meaningful to me. And uh, it's it's one of those things where it, it's again, like I said, even though there's no lyrics and there's no vocals it's still intensely personal music and it's, it's something that really comes from the heart and to be able to get it out there and uh, have other people feel it is, is very exciting. So 
must be exciting now too. We're talking about confidence where it's like there's a whole other level of confidence by getting that response. Like you've never, you know, put out something before you got thousands to listen to. Like like you now have this other big chunk of confidence you can just grab and go, all right, what are we gonna do with this now? <laughs> like, you know, this it's like yeah, whether you no, think of it that point. way or not, that's inevitably what's gonna happen, you know, which is Yeah. I mean exciting. in the past I've you know, when I've played with bands in in the past and actually done shows, it's been like I'm just sort of like the guy who plays the other dude's songs in the background. Like it, it, it wasn't really a creative effort for me. It was just more of a performative one or like cover bands. And like, I have always enjoyed that. But like the fact that I get to put everything into this and it's all me, is just very fulfilling. And yeah, like, like you said, it's, it's going to build that confidence, but uh, I'll stay humble. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll keep you to that. But yeah, man, I love it on Harrowed um, for the time being. The EP, it's on all streaming services. Uh, check it out. There'll be even more music out there by the time this is released. So uh, thank you very much, Matt. I really appreciate your time. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Great talking to you, too. So my thanks, man. Right. Peace, man.